Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Book Pod with Corey Perkin, the fortnightly podcast that brings readers and writers together. Today we acknowledge the traditional owners of the Boon Wurrung Nation where this podcast is produced and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today's Book Pod guest is Simon Holmesacourt, businessman, energy analyst, climate change activist, community advocate and convener of Climate 200. Climate 200 and its role in supporting successful independent candidates at the May federal election is one of Australian political history's most fascinating stories. This story prompted Simon to write The Big Teal, the latest in Monash University Publishing's important national interest series of essays by Australian thinkers, observers and doers. Simon Holmes Court is certainly a doer. For many years, he has been a green energy advocate working at the local community level and successfully creating change. But it was the 2022 federal election that really brought Simon to the fore. In May this year, just after the election, the Australian newspaper ran a story with the headline, the son of a billionaire who shaped the election, the wealthy climate crusader has succeeded in his mission to influence Australian politics. Simon, welcome to the book pod. And given the number of independents you endorsed who are now in the House of Reps and the Senate, did you succeed in your mission to influence Australian politics? Indeed, was that your mission when you started out with the Teal campaign? Firstly, thanks, Kari, for having me on, on the podcast. I had, for, for, for many, this looks like an overnight success, this, this movement, but Really, it started back in uh, in the middle of twenty middle of twenty twelve, when uh, the people of Indi came together and started the Voices of Indi. Uh, ultimately, chose Kathy McGowan, and she was um, that, that, that their, their aim was to take Indi marginal, and they were accidentally a little bit too successful and won uh, in twenty thirteen. So this. And independents have been around Parliament, of course, for you know, since Federation. But what's different about this model, at least different in in, in current times, is these are hyperlocal, independent candidates who have been chosen by the community. Not somebody put their hand up saying, "Please vote for me," but in many cases, someone who's been reluctantly, um, uh, you know, dragged to politics as a result of a community selection process. 
So this this movement's been bubbling away, and I had uh, I, I I intersected with it in 2018, so four years before the election, and saw how powerful it was. And I saw it. I saw the movement growing, but I also saw that that the barriers of entry for politics are extremely high, and as well as the massive groundswell of community support, they needed they needed funding. So I started. Climate 200 as a crowdfunding campaign, really, to help level the playing field for these community independent campaigns. Well, we have to point out, Simon, don't we, that there were, there were campaigns, independent campaigns, I think in more than 20 seats federally, and a lot of them were loosely characterised as TEALs, and we'll talk a bit in a moment about the actual TEAL definition, but not all of them used the colour TEAL or indeed were, you know, took money, accepted um, donations from Climate 200. But looking at the overview of these candidates and also reading your most interesting analysis of what actually happened over the past couple of years, climate change, integrity and gender equality do seem to be those three defining characteristics that bind them together. People such as Allegra Spender, uh, who successfully fought off Dave Sharma in Wentworth, Monique Ryan, of course, in Kuyong in Victoria. Oh, so many others. Um, Zoe Daniel in Goldstein, Sophie Scamps, uh, Kalia Tink, Kate Cheney over in WA. It really has been, you know, quite extraordinary to see the the power of of this particular group and the harnessing. And and yet you have been called, some call you, you know, a Svengali who's in charge of these women. Well, just given the calibre of the women professionally and also pers- in their personal lives, I can't imagine them taking orders from you or from any male, mm-hmm. to be honest. <laughs> but how important really was it that, the fu- that you got the funding right, uh, that where financial support was needed, you were able to give? What did you kind of see as being in their way? I mean, it's all very well having grassroots support and a local community that thinks you're terrific, but you've got to have so much more than that, don't you, to mount a, a challenge? Yeah, so our model was to to stand back and wait to see initiatives emerge, and and they did. In about about thirty candidates, uh, in the end, ran ran as community independents, and we would would see that these what we wanted to see for our campaign to support is that there were people, firstly campaign centric, not candidate centric. First, we wanted to see the right people around the table wanting to be planning to run the campaign that they had they had the social capital they had skills they had people in their team who had run and won in in, in election campaigns before that they could run that they ran events in in their community people turned up that they had some success fundraising because if you don't have all those ingredients then it then you don't you don't have the momentum that's required to get campaigns off the ground but we recognized um that they they also needed financial resources. Unfortunately, it's not it's it's not free. It's not even cheap to to run campaigns. Money's not everything. We Australia ran this you know, amazing experiment at the last two elections where Clive Palmer spent um, I think he spent eighty six million in in twenty nineteen and a hundred million purportedly in twenty twenty two. With out of out of the whole lot, I think he um, well he got one senator out of those two races. So money money's not everything, but it is it is important. What Climate 200 helped do is give those campaigns confidence, especially at the start, that they were that they were supported by. Um, so, so we we were a community of of funders. We had eleven thousand two hundred donors. Great big crowd funding campaign. 
I think that's, from. I think it's always really worth mentioning too, don't you? It, it was so often overlooked in the lead up to the election that in fact there were so many people who believed in this enough yeah. to put their money where their belief was. Yeah, there, on, on, on election day, there were 20,000 volunteers in, in this movement across the country and 11,000 people had funded through Climate 200, but then probably a similar number of people had had contributed to the campaign. Monique Ryan's campaign had 3,700 direct donors to it. In in the case of all of the independents who were successful, Climate 200 was between 30 and 40% of the funding. The, the majority had come from uh, their direct fundraising. But what we did at the early stage is give the campaigns confidence that they would be backed. And I think in, in, in some cases, uh, more than a few cases, the calibre of the candidate that was convinced to run, it's one thing to be tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, you'd be a great local MP. But if you're of, if you're at the point in your career where you have the options to consider this, the, where you have the social, political capital, uh, and you have the skills to bring, just someone saying you should run is, is, is not very convincing. You need to know that you've got the people on the ground who can pull this off and that they've got access to to the financial resources. So we helped people get that confidence. Well, I suppose it's like any business plan, isn't it? There has to be a, a business plan that shows sustainability, that you can actually yep. sustain yourself the good times and the bad. So I would mm. have imagined that, yes, you'd be most definitely wanting to have together, I guess, financial security. Yes. Some, some who have been involved in, in, in the startup scene, and I, I've done a lot of work in tech startups, liken like in Climate 200, a bit like a, a venture capitalist. The venture capitalists don't start businesses. They look around and they, they wait till they're approached by companies that have got, not only have got a great idea, like ideas are, are, are everywhere, but it's, it's the people who can take that idea and they can build a team around it and they can show that this, this idea has got legs. And in this case, the idea is really the candidate and their values. And, and they've shown that they can get hundreds of people to turn up to a, to events. And at that stage, you go, okay, how do we? You, you, you're probably on track to win ten thousand votes. Uh, you're going to need twenty five thousand to win. How can we help you scale the campaign? And so that's um, it's it's not just money. It's advice. You know, a lot of, a lot of the campaigns didn't didn't know how to run door knocking campaigns or phone banking or uh, how to organize polling polling day how to how to organize volunteers for that so we had we had people in our team who had a lot of experience in that regard who passed on passed on contacts or passed on information of how to do those and of course uh, there were so many women not just the candidates simon but also so many women amongst that volunteer workforce that you mm. were that you were talking about i wondered whether you would do us the honour of reading a little bit from The Big Teal. And I'm particularly drawn to that section, which has the subheading, The Good Bloke Advantage. I wonder if you could just read us a bit from your work. In April 2021, as we were planning our relaunch, Byron and I had a Zoom call with Ruth McGowan. Ruth is one of Kathy McGowan's nine sisters and is very actively involved in politics. She trains hundreds of women a year through the Pathways to Politics and Women for Election programs helping women to overcome their natural hesitation to put their hands up for politics. Ruth explained to me that the main barrier is a lack of confidence. Too many accomplished women, she's found, worried that they aren't up for the challenge. She pointed out that vanishingly few men suffer from this same affliction. 
Ruth set Byron and me a challenge. We've all heard certain politicians referred to as good blokes. People will say, I don't agree with everything Barnaby says, but if you meet him, he's a good bloke. A male politician can be deeply flawed, yet if they're considered a good bloke, all will be forgiven. Ruth asked us, so what's the female equivalent of the good bloke advantage? We went quiet, thinking about a response. Good woman didn't sound quite right. Plus, I couldn't think of a woman who had received a leave pass because they were considered one. 20 seconds went by and we we're still drawing blanks. Ruth then said, don't worry, I've been thinking about this for 20 years and there's no female equivalent of the good bloke advantage. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, but I have to tell you, when I meet a female candidate or a female politician, you do, someone you deal with, you do feel included. You feel, women have a great capacity to be inclusive, I think, don't you? Yeah, certain, certainly there's a warmth of each each of the new MPs as I've met them, there is, well, they go, I was told a, a, politi- a political saying um, or a, a political wisdom that candidates aren't trying to work out whether they whether they like a candidate. They're, they're, the, thing, the thing that they find most persuasive is subconsciously is they wonder whether the candidate would like them. Oh. Which is an interesting insight, right? And I, I think that certainly among the, and I'm not just talking about independents, but the, the female... MPs who I who who I've got to know and admire have have that ability to connect and telegraph to you that they respect you they're interested in what you've what you've got to say you know, and and they and they care to know what you've got to say whereas so many of the male politicians I've got to meet carry a there's sort of a a, a level of confidence slash arrogance that that I think they see as a strength. Well, it's excluding, isn't it? Because if they, if the, if if there's a politician, male or female, I mean, we're making massive gender assumptions, I know, but if there is a politician who sees him or herself above everybody else, mm. above you, even speaks in a language that we don't necessarily understand, mm. we feel we feel disconnected, and mm. we feel uh, sometimes we can feel belittled. It's most interesting, I, you know. I love talking to men such as yourself, Simon, who have a lot of female colleagues in their life. I often think about the influence of female figures, grandmothers, mothers, uh, mentors at work, wives, sisters. And as you know, I'm a longtime admirer of your mother, Janet Holmes, of course. For those who aren't familiar with Janet, and I can't believe there's an Australian listening who doesn't know her name, (laughs) but a very skilled businesswoman and a very active philanthropist and somebody whose life took an unexpected turn, a tragic turn with the sudden death of your father, Robert Holmes Accord, in 1990. And I just wonder, are there, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, are there connections for you in the experiences of watching your mother's strength through adversity and, and learning from her and, and, the, and the connection that you have with so many of the women who have given themselves to grassroots political movements? Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had quite a few strong women in, in my life. Both both of my grandmothers were were very strong and independent women with um, strong opinions and rejected the sort of stereotypes that they should be that that, that, that they should uh, defer defer to men, you know, and quite outspoken for 
for the times in which in which they live lived and and um and particularly my mother's mother very politically active she she was involved in 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 many protest movements and you know the um the nuclear disarmament party in perth she played a large role in that and uh, she and my mother and my mother with my brother in a pram would would be at all the vietnam marches in the late 60s early 70s so i've married a a, a strong woman and i have three strong daughters i'm i'm not afraid of of uh, women with 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 talents and uh and and indep- independent minds it's been amazing in, in this movement that wherever i go speaking with speaking with groups i would say 70 to 80% are women in this in this movement and 78 70 to 80% of the of the candidates running were were women there 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 were some men in in the movement and you know david pocock was elected to the senate alex dyson uh in in wanan and rob priestley in nichols came close so it's not it's not a female only movement um but it certainly benefits a lot from 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 women's wisdom Kathy McGowan and 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 Ruth and then a group of very quite quite incredible women around Kathy in Indi uh, who launched this this movement yeah a, a lot to admire there and and I had some really interesting chats with them about why this movement suits women um yeah uh and what why do you think that is or what did you learn a couple I mean a couple of a couple of observations that have been been given to me one one is that the crossbench suits women's way of working more than the opposition benches uh, i i heard sophie scomps give a talk the other night where she she talked about she she pushes um she sees the crossbench as pushing the government further than their ambition sometimes is but also holding them to account but not reflexively opposing everything they do i think there's maybe maybe some sort of attributes that we we attribute that that we see in maternal behavior rather than a sort of a punishing uh, oppositional that maybe sometimes are closer to some paternal i don't know but another another thing make point that's been made to me is the the party system is a very patriarchal system that hasn't hasn't changed much if if anything at all in the last in the last century you know since women were 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 first in able to get into politics and when when a woman wants to join a party and succeed they have to make a lot of they have to make a lot of compromises they have to do one commentator told me they have to make a patriarchal bargain put up with a lot of crap stand at a lot of media conferences and tell people that there's no bullying in the party or that women are respected when they know that their experience has been quite different whereas the the this community independence movement bypasses all of that rubbish and i i think none of the women who stood for election in may were prepared to make that kind of bargain there's no way that someone like Monique Ryan or Allegra Spender would sit on the back benches for 15 years and uh turn up to endless branch meetings and miss out on pre-selection to mediocre men who just were better connected or vote against their values there's there's no way that that these accomplished women would would do that so we are really lucky that we've that that Australia has landed on a model where these people can get into parliament without having to to strike that bargain that compromises the very values that you'd want them in parliament for 
So I, th I think I think that those are two those are two factors. And another big factor, of course, behind this movement is 2021 was a shocking year for the um, well the revelations that came out about the treatment of women, particularly around our political process. Six or seven pretty high profile cases, but the government's inept, uncaring response to to that issue by the march for justice in 2021 most women i know were white hot with anger at the pathetic handling of those of the alleged crimes against women in in, in and around parliament yeah it, it was certainly a lightning rod moment i think 2021 the historians will probably tell us was a key a key moment in australian contemporary history there's no doubt about that the government just didn't seem to be listening you're listening to The Book Pod, an audio community that brings writers and readers together. We are still calling it the Teal Movement, and I wondered if we could unpack that a bit. Can you tell me firstly about why teal, which is a favourite colour of mine, I have to say. <laughs> I, think, I think it worked really well on the, um, on the hustings, because if you ever drove down Glenfrey Road, Hawthorne, you'd see 20 of them standing outside somewhere handing how to vote for Monique. So it was the colour that really stood out. But also... A striking colour. Yeah. It, yes, it's a striking colour and why you chose that and also why movement and not thinking about it in terms of a political party, although perhaps your previous answer just actually touched on that, all the machinations and the, the, the labour that goes into creating political parties and the processes that have to ensue probably would defeat the purpose, I guess. But tell us about the teal... Yeah, so firstly, teal, teal wasn't a term that was attached to the movement until very late in the election campaign. It wasn't, um, the, the media had a lot of trouble trying to label the movement. At first, they, they talked to them, I've talked about them as uh, the voices of candidates, because many of them were at least somehow had either well, they'd come out of processes, many of them, that that from the Voices of movement, which was loosely based on on what happened in Indi in, in 2012. Uh, Do you recall then, who actually came up with the Teal slogan? It, it it came from the media, and it came. You know, the election was was in well, it was the the 21st of May. Looking back at media monitoring, the first time I saw candidates referred to, or this is referred to as the Teal movement, was was in April. So only about six weeks before the election. So there were voices of, at one point, people said Climate 200 candidates. We, we, we tried very hard to remind people that, no, we, we didn't select any candidates. We didn't start any campaigns. We're just there to give the movement a, a, a gear up. And most, in fact, I, I don't think any, any candidate actually ran under a pure teal colour. I mean, teal is a, a darker shade of, of blue-green than the, the aqua and turquoise and, and there was powder blue by by Sophie Scomps, but we had in the in the movement there were candidates wearing you know orange and purple, yellow, pink, aqua, navy, peach, olive, burgundy. There were a whole series of of, color, of, of there was a whole lot of diversity in the movement. But as some political commentators say, it, 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 it stuck. I mean, some of the high profile ones were were apart from Kylie Tink were were various shades of shades of blue, but. I think the you know, the political scientists gravitated towards the term because uh, blue is associated with sort of 
fiscally conserv- conservatism and green uh, with environmental awareness and somewhere between the blue and the green in, 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 in political colours is where many but not all of the candidates would, 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 would be placed. Yes, you, are, you have been consistent even when political observers and commentators have said that this is all you're doing, that this is a Climate 200 Party, Warren Mundine. Bless him. Uh, yes, <laughs> described <laughs> you as the Clive Palmer but on the left and said you were just one of those filthy, rich, spoiled brats who think they can influence elections by spending millions and millions of dollars I think that of all the the different quotes in favour of, of course, what you've done, but also your critics, but I think the one that resonated with me was actually you spoke to The Age in the Sydney Morning Herald back in March and you just said, cross my heart and hope to die that all the campaigns we are supporting started from inside their own electorates. Every single one is grassroots. You can't be more explicit than that really, Simon. (laughs) Well, none of the none of the candidates want to be part of a party. None of them would want to enter into any arrangement that compromised their independence. Uh, campaigns only made it very clear to us, and, and and we wouldn't have had it any other way. But made it very clear that any any donation received was absolutely at arm's length, no strings attached. We don't. So par- parties choose candidates, candidates are responsible to the party, the party has members, officials, constitution, policies, they tell their members how to vote, they discipline members if if they violate the party's policies. Not a single one of those uh, applies to Climate 200. We have zero control over the candidates and and, and, and it would compromise their independence if it were any other way. So there, there was a lot of mischief making. It, all, all the negative commentary you've said comes from one side, one side of the media or one side of politics. Pretty hard to disentangle, dis, disentangle them at some point, some points. But they, that was all part of their electioneering to undermine the movement and, and claim that it was just some kind of new, new party. Certainly a new movement uh, or a new organization of 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 power in australia but i think a lot of its power comes or all of its power maybe comes from the from the community structures behind these candidates and their their independence of political you know they, they, they don't have factions or branches or donors or a party to be loyal to they've got one group to be loyal to and that's the voters that that elected them. So I think it's a beautiful return to democracy that the yeah, their 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 number one and only clients are their are their constituents. Sure, very different yeah. from the majors. And so what is your role with them now, both personally but also through Climate Two Hundred? So we don't we don't have any uh, we, we don't have any role. We we, we certainly gave advice and uh, donations through the electoral electoral campaign. Occasionally, we get asked for advice from from campaigns. A lot of campaigns are well, they're now MP offices, working out what they're. There are a lot of experiments in democracy right now. I heard an amazing story recently where Kate Cheney had run a community engagement or community session on the National Anti Corruption Commission, where she 
had in, invited the community to come along to a forum. The, the legislation was broken out into its eight topic areas. There was a table for each of those topic areas with a lawyer or barrister trained who, who had done the background reading, who understood the design of the section and could ask, answer people's questions, and they could debate certain design principles. They took all the feedback at the end of the night, and uh, Kate and her policy officer wrote up a community sub- submission to the to the Senate inquiry, and they, she said, about two thirds of the paper was were community words, uh, a third of her own, and the community changed her mind on a couple of key design principles. So that's, I don't know, if, I haven't heard of anything like that happening before, but MPs around, these new MPs are trying experiments like that around the country. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm so happy when I hear this kind of thing is happening. I think it's so much closer to democracy we want. There was a bit of a discussion or a suggestion leading up to the election that some Teal candidates were trying to distance themselves from you and from Climate 200. I wonder what how you how you responded to that and how you feel about that upon reflection now. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm 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 fairly outspoken on on social media. I have been since I sort of hopped on Twitter for the first time five years ago. I I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly unfiltered, and it hasn't had consequences really uh, in, in, in any sort of negative. Uh, situation until you know, tr- as we got close to the election, certain parts of the media were watching every word I would say, and I, you know, it, it's quite surreal to wake up in the morning and see a tweet re- reproduced in you know on the front page of the Australian, or um, or or, or, or have Sky News go through my Twitter time timeline for you know twenty minutes one evening. Uh, it's quite quite bizarre, but um, yeah, I I, I think when someone becomes attached to a movement and, and in the in, in the heat of campaigns it's important to to, to recognize that there are repercussions so so i yeah i i learned that if if, if i were, if i was too spicy it would come back and 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 hurt candidates during during the campaign and and um yeah certainly you know more, more than a you know, a few times towards the end of the campaign, people said, "You know, can you can you um can you just turn your phone off and can you <laughs> stay stay off the street and go you know go on a holiday and go go on go on a holiday and and to to a large degree, I I you know I did wind out of the campaign in the, in the last few weeks. Simon, I'm a I'm a big fan of what I call political documents of record that are written immediately or almost immediately after a big political event. And even those books and memoirs that are composed by the actual participants, you understand they have a particular view of what happened and they might have a particular barrow to push, but I do think they are also invaluable to historians. And I suspect your extended essay, The Big Teal, will be like that as well. I think people will be referring to the information that you've laid out, how the movement unfolded and your your connection your background, of course, as as you said, you know, not only as an investor and in the tech space, but also as uh, as an as an activist and long time climate aware person. I wondered why did you write this little essay? How did how did it come about? Were you invited to do it? Had you written some? Yeah. Somebody said that might make a great essay for us. I spoke at the National Press Club in February of of this year, so. Three months before before election day, pretty pretty much, and afterwards, I got I was contacted by Louise Adler, the, the publisher of of the series, 
suggesting that the story might the story would be a, a good contribution to the international interest series. And I was I, I was so busy with the campaign, and in a weak moment, said said yes. <laughs> um, immediately after the campaign, well, about you know, there was some cleaning up to do afterwards. But six weeks after, I went to Europe, and uh, was was reminded that I had this commitment that I'd made to, um, to to write the book. But by that time, it was it was far enough away from the election that I had an, I, I had a, some perspective on what just happened. And it was, but it was close enough that I still had very vivid recollections of what happened. So it was good discipline to sit down. You know, I was supposed to be on on holiday. But good, good, good discipline to sit down and integrate and make make sense of it all. Plus, an opportunity to to correct a whole lot of misunderstandings. There was, you know, elections are uh, are very much subject to propaganda. Someone once described to me that that politics is about creating creating politicians create uh, uh, truth creation factories they, they they create their own truths and try, try to convince people that their truth is the one truth and a lot of mistruth had come out of the election that I really wanted to address and uh, <laughs> one day my sister sent me a text saying she'd pre-ordered my book it was up on Monash Monash's pub uh, website um, including a page count before I'd written a single word uh, so I knew at that point there was no no getting out of it. I, I had to follow through. Uh, I had to follow Louise, through. I'm glad, I'm glad I did. And Louise Adler would be a formidable editor to say, oh, sorry, I was on holiday and I didn't get a chance to meet the deadline. <laughs> bless her and bless Monash University Publishing for this wonderful series which is called In the National Interest. If, uh, if listeners haven't come across the series, there are a number of small books. How many words are there, Simon? Just remind me. They're between eighteen and and twenty two thousand words, I think. Yes. In, in, so yep. very digestible. Long extended read. essays. Yeah, very digestible reads and a number of, as I said earlier, important voices in the Australian landscape. People such as Carillo Gantner, John Lyons of the ABC, Kevin Rudd, former Prime Minister, Inala Cooper, Joe Dyer, Gareth Evans, a um, number of them. And yourself, of course, with this one, The Big Teal. Simon, before we go and before I ask you our much-loved question of your favourite book or authors, I just wanted to touch upon one of the most interesting chapters in your book is the section on disruptors. And you point out that you cut your teeth in Silicon Valley. Mm. And, of course, that was one of the great epicentres of tech disruption, as we know. And you say what we just saw in Australian politics was classic disruption. And I wonder, it was disruption. It has been an amazing year in federal politics. And I wondered, do you see this as an ongoing thing? Was it just a glitch, a moment where all the stars were aligned or are we onto something here? No, I think, I, I think there has been a fundamental disruption in that politics was really only, only accessible to large party structures. Um, yes, there were the, the occasional freak independent would, would, would get through. But you needed to have you need to have a, uh, until recently a a large set of skills and a huge bag of money in order to get candidates in, and just as technology came and disrupted so many industries, you know, think about uh, if you wanted a news site fifty years ago, you had to own a printing press. Now you just need a subscription to WordPress, uh, a website, and you can get your word out. Similarly, with politics, so many things that you needed to have a party for 
their service providers for or their um in, instead of having town hall meetings and people to organize getting 200 people down to a to a pre-selection meeting whatever there's there's zoom um, people could people can meet on online there's um there's all sorts of software tools that allow people to organize their their membership and to plan door knocking and so so a whole lot of technology has come and people's engagement rather than being consumers of the political process that technology has allowed them to be participants in it so so many of the 20,000 people who volunteered for the election you got got into their into the campaign bit by bit through the social media presence and 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 the the town hall meetings that were happening on Zoom during the lockdowns. So that the barrier of entry to politics has been dramatically reduced. And Climate 200 of of all that sort of disaggregation of all the services that a party gave one of the toughest things is how do you fundraise um especially if you don't have long running relationships with with you know people have been donating for years and years and years to to a party. Well we we helped break down that funding barrier. So just one one part of this breaking apart of, I guess, the sort of the iron grip that the parties had by having all of the required services in one spot. So those the barriers are much lower now. And and just the shift that 18 months ago, people, you know, the, the narrative was independence split the vote or independence a waste of your vote or independence, you know, can't get anything done. And we've We've seen so much change to the zeitgeist in Canberra and the the soft power that the independents are exerting, or as we're, we're seeing with particularly David Pocock in the Senate, very, very skillful use of the balance of power that he holds. I think it's a very exciting time too, I agree. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? We, you and I are speaking on the eve of a Victorian state election. And when I compare the engagement and the interest that many of us had in the May federal election to what we have in the weekend's election, it's chalk and cheese. And I'm not really sure why, because the issues that are so important to many of us, climate change being right up there, but also good governance. I don't know, the message, it just doesn't seem to be coming through in this particular campaign, but thank goodness it did in the federal election in May with thanks, of course, to the Teals and, of course, people such as yourself who became engaged. Instead of sitting back and waiting for somebody else to to make a move, you all did. And I think we should all be grateful and I think we should all probably be very admiring of having the courage to to get involved. Thanks, Alka. I appreciate it. We have a huge, huge movement with so many people involved. And you know, I wasn't there at the beginning. So yeah, my, my hat's off to all those who, who, who built built this model and, and and those who stick their necks out and, and put themselves up as the community candidates. They've go for, through a lot to get there and they work incredibly hard to represent us. So, Simon, let's finish as we always do. We ask our guests, is there a book or an author or a series that if you were on a desert island and you could only have one of these, what would you choose? A few years ago, I, I got around to reading Don Watson's American Journeys. And I just I found his turn of phrase and his insights to be such a such a pleasure to read. Uh, I've had a copy of his Recollections of a Bleeding Heart, the portrait of Paul Keating as Prime Minister, on my bookshelf, winking at me um, for for several years. And I, I I would love to take yeah if I was stuck on a desert island, I could take his collected works. Uh, I think I would read read through it and 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 and, and love both the the quality of the writing, but the insight into the um, 
um, history of Australia, not just political history, but he's 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 covered so many different high-profile and quirky aspects of the history of Australia in his bibliography. That is lovely to hear because, as you know, in April we we are hosting the Sorrento Writers Festival. You are going to be one of our guest speakers, which is beyond uh, exciting, and so is Don Watson. So, oh really? We can um, have you both at the bar or on a panel or something. I don't know, but certainly having a drink together. That would be an absolute honour. Yeah. So- Simon, it has been an absolute honour for me to have a chat with you today. Congratulations on your extended essay, The Big Teal by Simon Holmes Accord. And it's part of the In the National Interest series published by Monash University Publishing and at a good bookstore near you. Thank you, Simon, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Guy. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.